Chapter 25 Meet the New Boss What if Queen Latifah becomes the manager? Season 7 wraps up without resolving who will be named D'Angelo Vickers' replacement as the new regional manager. This was partially to incentivize viewers to tune in to the next season premiere, but it also gave the writers time to figure out which character was up for the task. Opinions were all over the place. Brent Forrester. How are you possibly going to fill these gigantic shoes? There's just no easy answer. Terry Weinberg. We knew we were never going to fill that void. We knew that we could never replace Michael Scott, nor would we try to do that. For us, it was, how do we serve the story? Who do we bring in and create some disruption now that Michael is gone? And how do we keep the level of comedy at a place that it was? And how do we have some fun with who becomes the new manager? Who holds this group of people together? And so we threw around a million names. Paul Lieberstein. One of the important aspects is that the boss puts something on the relationships in the office that's not just totally professional. They have to see it as a lot more than it is. Amelie Gallette. My God, there were a ton of debates. Should it be an outsider? Should it be someone internal? Danny Chun. There were so many different opinions. I don't recall anybody particularly having one opinion that they held to the entire time. I feel like everybody just kept changing their minds. Everyone was arguing, debating, and really... It just was like an exciting but scary conversation to be having. Warren Lieberstein I think the lessons we gleaned from Jim being made co-manager made the decision tougher. We didn't want to lose what made people funny by putting them in a position of power. Owen Ellickson In retrospect, I feel like Craig Robinson actually would have been a good pick. The way shows go, characters get broader over time. If you want to oversimplify it, in season one it was crazy boss, normal employees. By this point, you had crazy employees, so actually picking a normal boss would have been a good inversion of the dynamic. It just would have been fresh, and it would have been more of a change from Carell. Ben Patrick I would have loved if Craig Robinson could have gone there. He's like the most delightful person in the world. Every day we had something that featured Daryl was kind of the most fun day to shoot because he's just a very charming and lovely person. Somebody had released Daryl for Manager t-shirts at the end of the seventh season. At the time, the cast and crew were actually kind of wondering what the writers were going to do. Ricky Gervais' David Brent character did apply for the job in Search Committee. And at least for a second, the idea of bringing him in was brought up in the writer's room. Paul Lieberstein. When we talked about it, my biggest problem was that David Brent is a version of Steve Carell. That's a big coincidence. There's also two people outside his office who are exactly like the two people he worked with. And then it just so happens that a documentary crew happens to be following them around? It wouldn't have made sense. Halstead Sullivan. I pitched the idea of, what if Queen Latifah becomes the manager? Slowly, 
One by one, she starts firing all the employees. And you just bring in all these black comedians. It becomes a black office, and you just go from there. But, you know, that didn't get that much traction. It would have been fun, though. Peter Oko. I felt very strongly that you couldn't replace Michael with another member of the ensemble. I thought he occupied a very particular position in the office dynamic, and it would be better to pull somebody in from the outside and just own that, rather than simply saying we'll just fill it from inside. I wasn't alone in that, but there were definitely different sides. Danny Chun One of the big debates that took place was, should it be someone inside the office, or should it be someone new? That was a really big one. On a meta level, it was like, do we want to bring in a brand new actor, a big star? Or do we want to sort of cultivate the people that people already know and love? There was also a real aspect where we asked, what would be happening at the office itself? Ultimately, what we decided to do was have the process play out in the office because that is what would happen. Should it be someone from the outside or someone from the inside? Who should it be? Who's the best person on the inside? Amelie Gallette. There was ultimately a big Dwight camp and there was a big Andy camp. Justin Spitzer. I remember a lot of discussion about what we should do. I did not think it should be Andy. I loved the character of Andy. I loved Ed. I don't think I could see yet what Andy would bring to the table that felt distinct with him being the boss. He's such a people pleaser, but Michael is a people pleaser. I think people would have been more excited to see Dwight as the boss because he'd been wanting it for so long. It just seemed like it suggested more stories to me. Danny Chun We love them both, and we're so fortunate to have talents like Rain Wilson and Ed Helms. I could see both of them working. But maybe, if there was a gun to my head, I was coming a little bit more to the Dwight side because... I saw that version a little more clearly than Andy in charge. But I think that's partially why some people like the Andy version. They liked the possibility that he could go in multiple directions. And it ultimately did kind of go in surprising directions. Whereas it felt like the Dwight version, there was a lot of inherent comedy, but maybe a little less of a sense of surprise. Mark Brooks. I think if Dwight had become the boss, it would have opened up a lot of interesting doors and storylines. Aaron Schur. I did not think Dwight should be the boss because I think Dwight is not as benign as Michael Scott. He's like this weird amalgam of Mennonite and Star Trek nerd. There's just so many candy bags to draw from that he carries around that I was worried that if we gave him the boss position, it would just be disastrous. I also didn't want Dwight to be empowered because I was afraid he wouldn't be funny anymore with power. It's funny if he sets the office on fire and blow torches all the doorknobs, but if he did that all day long without any sort of check on his behavior, it would be terrifying. Danny Chun I understand that, but 
My counter to that would have been Michael also did a lot of things early on that were preposterous and inappropriate and awful. And then also part of what we were dramatizing was that person's progression, humanizing the boss character and understanding their perspective and having them learn to understand the perspective of the people that worked for them. And I always personally felt that Dwight was a really deep and kind, ultimately good character. I've chimed in on Twitter multiple times when people think that Dwight would have voted for Trump because I don't think he would have. To me, it felt like he was going to do some insane, inappropriate, horrible, and cruel things, but he may now suddenly be forced into a position to contemplate what he was doing a little more. And that seemed intriguing. Amelie Gallette. I wanted to be Team Dwight because I always liked Dwight a lot, and the pinnacle of what he wanted was to become the boss. And it would be interesting to give him that comedically and to see where he would go from there. Also, Rain was just so good. I do think that Andy was an interesting choice, too. And believe me, I switched camps a lot. I think a lot of us did because you don't really know until you do it. But we felt like we could still get some juice out of Dwight not being number one, but being a foiled number two. We thought that might be a good comedic engine. I think that's ultimately why Andy won out. Halstead Sullivan Dwight was probably the expected choice, and Dwight would have been an excellent manager. Andy was more the unexpected choice. I feel like I was on both sides of the debate because there were strong arguments for both. It was not a black-and-white thing. We tried out Dwight in that role, and in the end, we went with Andy. It was a photo finish. I think everyone would have been happy with either person in that role. Brent Forrester The writers and the cast, generally speaking, were really excited about Dwight becoming the boss. It just felt correct, and that was our creative thrust. Mostly it was pushback from the network saying, well, is there someone more famous that we can put in here? Of course the creators always bristle at that and just want to do the right thing creatively. That was a big thing. But Ed Helms had this giant advantage because of course he was in The Hangover. Not to completely read the minds of the network, but that was my understanding of how that decision got made. Owen Ellickson I think the hangover calculus sort of shifted things toward Andy pretty quickly. Justin Spitzer It felt with Andy that we were substituting someone in for Michael that might feel like just another version of Michael. It's not about the actor or anything, just that people are going to inevitably compare it, and you're always going to compare unfavorably with the original. Whereas Dwight would have been his very own energy if he were a boss. That might have gone horribly and been broad and stupid, so I don't want to make it seem like I'm in any way questioning the decision we made. But at the time, I was on the Dwight side of things. Amelie Gallette. There was an episode where Dwight was boss, Dwight K. Schrute, acting manager. And I think a lot of writers thought that Dwight had the farm stuff and might not be as officey as Andy. Owen Ellickson. All of this was happening just as the 2012 election was starting to take steam. 
I feel like making Andy the boss right around the time that we were all choosing not Mitt Romney to be the president. There was just an awkward fit to it socioeconomically. It was not a moment when we were all like, let's care more about these types of people. Kate Flannery I was not consulted, but I thought it was a great idea to make Andy the new boss. I thought it made the most sense how they did it. And once again, interesting that he had just had a hit movie with The Hangover, much like Steve with 40-Year-Old Virgin. It was kind of kismet. At this same time, Kathy Bates became the lead character on the new NBC legal drama Harry's Law. With her no longer able to commit to the show, it created a great opportunity to bring in another big-name actor who could help fill the void of Carell's departure and generate excitement going into a season that everyone knew would be very difficult. Peter Oko A lot of names were tossed around, and I won't list them all, but the sky was the limit, honestly. Because it was such a well-regarded show, I don't think there were names that came up that we would think, oh, no, they'll definitely say no. I think there was always a, a bit of hope that you could go anywhere and say, come do it for a season, and they'd do it. Brent Forrester Paul went and met James Gandolfini, who was really the one that we were super excited about. It was like, wow, that would be crazy having him as the boss. Owen Ellickson I was excited about the idea of Gandolfini. I mean, that's not a unique opinion for a white guy in his 30s, but I loved him. I thought he was a brilliant actor and would have given us a million colors to play with. Danny Chun Paul and BJ and I went to go meet James and talk to him about it. I remember him being really, really complimentary, but he wasn't super familiar with the show. He had watched a few episodes, and he was really unsure about comedy. He was like... I don't 100% know how to play this. Alan Seppenwall Jim was really funny, and he would have been menacing as hell because he's James Gandolfini. They could have done a lot with him, and it would have been great for him, too, because he was really desperate to not be Tony Soprano anymore at that point. Danny Chun Obviously, we all know he was an amazingly talented person. I think he was good in anything he ever did but I think he felt a little... I don't know if I want to say he was ever intimidated by anything, but I think he was just unsure of the idea of helming what was one of the biggest comedies on TV. Justin Spitzer We all worship Jim. I don't know whatever happened with that, but he would have been great. I don't know long term if that would have been good, though. That would have been an amazing arc, and then at that point you just have to see how he is in that world. The Sopranos was something very specific, somewhere between a drama and a comedy. And it was written kind of as a comedy, but you didn't focus on that part of it. So I don't know if people would want to see that guy in their living rooms every Thursday being the boss. But just as a presence, he would have been an interesting element in the show. Danny Chun. We were still very early in the process of developing his character. We hadn't opened up the full conversation of it, but I remember feeling like we were excited by this idea of this really sort of 
salt-of-the-earth, intense, passionate guy who could be your father figure and your biggest supporter and the most sort of wonderful person to have on your side, but also turn around and be the scariest person you've ever seen in your life and just bite your head off about something. We just felt like the sort of range that James had was very exciting to us. Brent Forrester I think Gandolfini said yes and then hesitated or something, but it was really, really close to him being the boss. Terry Weinberg This is a hard subject. Boy, I miss that actor. That was definitely a conversation, though. I think Greg had a conversation with him. I don't think we stopped talking to him. I mean, that conversation went on for some time. But he had also had some shows that he was developing for himself, and that was just part of what his focus was. So I don't think that he was necessarily ready to just jump into this role. And I think some people, I don't know that they wanted to take on something that Steve had essentially stepped out of to try to step into. Brent Forrester. I remember at one point it came down to James Spader and James Gandolfini. Spader was a tertiary member of the Brad Pack who had his start in teen comedies like Mannequin and Pretty in Pink before moving into more serious films like Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Stargate. He came onto the eighth season of legal drama The Practice in 2004 and breathed new life into the show before spinning off his character onto Boston Legal, which ran for five successful seasons. Terry Weinberg we just were big fans of his, and he created such an incredible, delicious character in Boston Legal, and he had such an incredible dry sense of humor. He's such a super talented guy, and we'd just fallen in love with him. I think just over the course of having a lot of meetings, it just worked out that way, and he said, I love the show, and we loved him. James Spader, Robert, California, season seven and eight. When all this started, I didn't have much money left from the practice spin-off Boston Legal. I'd done a big renovation on my house, and then I did a David Mamet play, Race, in New York for a year, which was a perfect antidote to doing a television series. But when it was done, I knew I was going to need some money because I was hemorrhaging cash doing the play. And then, all of a sudden, I got the call from the office. Halstead Sullivan James Spader was more of a surprise during the process, but he just really popped. It was like, wow, he's a huge star, he's really funny, and he has a different energy. What happens if we add him into the mix as well? Greg Daniels' mantra for this was, if there's someone who can hit home runs, let's add them to the cast and see how things develop. Our ensemble was so strong that it felt like you could try those experiments. He initially came out of the show for a quick couple of scenes during the final episode of Season 7, where Jim and Toby were interviewing potential hires for the regional manager job. James Spader I said to them, okay, but there will be no obligation, right? They said, no, no, it's a one-off, it'll be great, and you can come over whatever time you want. We know you're not a morning person, so if you want to come during the afternoon or whatever you want to do, we'll just shoot it quickly. And I said, great, this will be great fun. Anyway, so I went over and did it, and it was. It was a ball. We really had a lot of fun, and that was the end of that. But then it aired. 
Even though he was up against the likes of Jim Carrey, Ray Romano, Will Arnett, and even Ricky Gervais reviving his David Brent character, Spader stood out as the clear audience favorite. He played the Robert California character as a suave, cocksure mystery man, almost as if Don Draper from Mad Men had an evil twin. Even critics who felt The Office had jumped the shark by that point were impressed. Wow, wrote New York Magazine's Meg Wright in her review of the episode. I instantly fell in love with his creepy psychological tactics and love for pregnant pauses, and his stare down against Dwight was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Owen Ellickson Spader was brilliantly funny in that scene, almost funnier than he ever was in season eight. James Spader Apparently, they were following the audience reaction to their shows in real time through social media. They told me people just loved the character. And they said, is there any chance we can convince you to come back as that character in any capacity? And I said, do you have an idea where the show is headed? And they said, yeah, we have a basic framework for what we're thinking about for next season, and this character could be plugged in anywhere along the line. It's very flexible. Ben Silverman. I didn't like the Spader idea. That came from Bob Greenblatt. They could have done better. Danny Chun. It's completely possible that Greenblatt pushed Spader early on in that process, but I remember us being really sort of taken by the energy that he brought that was just so different than anyone else's energy on the show. And I think we felt like there's something very, very interesting about this really, really specific, strange character. We were kind of drawn to exploring that a little bit more. Right around this time, Spader was approached by Steven Spielberg about taking on a prominent role in his upcoming movie, Lincoln. James Spader. I really wanted to do it, but they were doing it at a greatly reduced budget. Everybody was cutting their fees for the picture because they really didn't have any idea about whether this was going to have a broad audience or not, and it was a fairly expensive picture to make in terms of the production values. There wasn't much money up front, but we were all getting a piece of the back end. But it wasn't going to shoot for eight months, and by this point, I was broke. Really, I was broke. I had enough to last me about a year or less, and I didn't really find anything I wanted to do over the next six to eight months. And so I was in a real pickle in terms of Lincoln. I was terrified I'd have to tell Stephen I couldn't take the part if something that pays well came along that was shooting at the same time. As he was pondering this, the office producers called up his agent. James Spader. They said, we'll take whatever we can get from James. Those were their words. I said, all right, how about call them back and say, you know what, forget about an arc. If you want me to do the show, I want a whole season. But if I'm going to do the whole season, I need a couple of months off to go do this picture. So how about that for a deal? And you know what? Everyone agreed. <laughs> 